0: Part two of Hellhounds of the Cosmos by Clifford Seamack This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part two Perhaps they have watched us for years, watching life on the world increase, lapping their monstrous jowls over the fattening of the earth. They have awaited the proper setting of the banquet table, and now they are dining their thoughts are not our thoughts their ideals not our ideals perhaps they have nothing in common with us except the primal basis of all life self-preservation the necessity of feeding maybe they have come of their own will i prefer to believe that they have perhaps they are merely following the natural course of events obeying some immutable law legislated by some higher being who watches over the cosmos and dictates what shall be and what shall not be if this is true it means that there has been a flaw in my reasoning for i believe that the life of each plane degenerated in company with the degeneration of its plane of existence which would obey the same evolution laws which govern the life upon it i am quite satisfied that this invasion is a well-planned campaign that some fourth-dimensional race has found a means of breaking through the veil of force which separates its plane from ours but pointed out henry woods you say they are fourth-dimensional things i can't see anything about them to suggest an additional dimension they are plainly three-dimensional of course they are three-dimensional they would have to be to live in this world of three dimensions the only two-dimensional objects which we know of in this world are merely illusions projections of the third dimension like a shadow it is impossible for more than one dimension to live on any single plane to attack us they would have to lose one dimension this they have evidently done you can see how utterly ridiculous it would be for you to try to attack a two-dimensional thing. So far as you were concerned, it would have no mass. The same is true of the other dimensions. Similarly, a being of a lesser plane could not harm an inhabitant of a higher plane. It is apparent that while the horror has lost one material dimension— it has retained certain fourth-dimensional properties which make it invulnerable to the forces at the command of our plane. The newspaper man was now sitting on the edge of his chair. But, he asked breathlessly, it all sounds so hopeless. What can be done about it? Dr. White hitched his chair closer, and his fingers closed with a fierce grasp upon the other's knee. A militant boom came into his voice. "'My boy,' he said, "'we are to strike back. We are going to invade the fourth-dimensional plane of these hellhounds. We are going to make them feel our strength. We are going to strike back.' Henry Woods sprang to his feet. "'How?' he shouted. "'Have you—' Dr. White nodded. I have found a way to send a third-dimensional into the fourth. Come and I will show you." The machine was huge, but it had an appearance of simple construction. A large, rectangular block of what appeared to be a strange black metal was set on end and flanked on each side by two smaller ones. On top of the large block was set a half-globe of a strange substance, somewhat Henry thought like frosted glass. On one side of the large cube was set a lever, a long glass panel, two vertical tubes, and three clock-face indicators. The control board, it appeared, was relatively simple. Beside the mass of the five rectangles on the floor was a large plate of transparent substance ground to a concave surface through which one could see an intricate tangle of wire mesh hanging from the ceiling directly above the one on the floor was another concave disk but this one had a far more pronounced curvature wires connected the two disks and each in turn was connected to the rectangular machine it's a matter of the proper utilization of two forces electrical and gravitational proudly explained dr white these two forces properly used warp the third dimension into the fourth a reverse process is used to return the object to the third the principle of the machine is the old man was about to launch into a lengthy discussion but henry interrupted him a glance at his watch had shown him press time was drawing perilously close just a second he said you propose to warp a third dimensional being into a fourth dimension how can a third dimensional thing exist there you said a short time ago that only a specified dimension could exist on one single plane. "'You missed my point,' snapped Dr. White. "'I am not sending a third-dimensional thing to a fourth dimension. I am changing the third-dimensional being into a fourth-dimensional being. I add a dimension and automatically the being exists on a different plane. I am reversing evolution.' This third dimension we now exist on evolved millions of eons ago from a fourth dimension. I am sending a lesser entity back over these millions of eons to a plane similar to one upon which his ancestors lived inconceivably long ago." "'But, man, how do you know you can do it?' The doctor's eyes gleamed, and his fingers reached out to press a bell. A servant appeared almost at once. "'Bring me a dog,' snapped the old man. The servant disappeared. "'Young man,' said Dr. White, "'I am going to show you how I know I can do it. I have done it before. Now I am going to do it for you. I have sent dogs and cats back to the fourth dimension and returned them safely to this room. I can do the same with men.' The servant reappeared, carrying in his arms a small dog. The doctor stepped to the control board of his strange machine. "'All right, George,' he said. The servant had evidently worked with the old man enough to know what was expected of him. He stepped close to the floor disk and waited. The dog whined softly, sensing that all was not exactly right. The old scientist slowly shoved the lever toward the right and as he did so a faint hum filled the room, rising to a stupendous roar as he advanced the lever. From both floor disk and upper disk leaped strange cones of blue light, which met midway to form an hourglass shape of brilliance. The light did not waver or sparkle. It did not glow. It seemed hard and brittle, like straight bars of force. The newspaper man, gazing with awe upon it, felt that terrific force was there what had the old man said warp a third dimensional being into another dimension that would take force as he watched petrified by the spectacle the servant stepped forward and with a flip tossed the little dog into the blue light the animal could be discerned for a moment through the light and then it disappeared look in the globe shouted the old man and Henry jerked his eyes from the column of light to the half-globe atop the machine. He gasped. In the globe, deep within its milky center, glowed a picture that made his brain reel as he looked upon it. It was a scene such as no man could have imagined unaided. It was a horribly distorted projection of an eccentric landscape, a landscape hardly analogous to anything on Earth. "'That's the fourth dimension, sir,' said the servant. "'That's not the fourth dimension,' the old man corrected him. "'That's a third-dimensional impression of the fourth dimension. "'It is no more the fourth dimension than a shadow is three-dimensional. "'It, like a shadow, is merely a projection. "'It gives us a glimpse of what the fourth plane is like. "'It is a shadow of that plane.' "'Slowly a dark blotch began to grow in the landscape.' slowly it assumed definite form it puzzled the reporter it looked familiar he could have sworn he had seen it somewhere before it was alive for it had moved that sir is the dog george volunteered that was the dog dr white again corrected him god knows what it is now he turned to the newspaper man have you seen enough he demanded henry nodded the others slowly began to return the lever to its original position. The roaring subsided, the light faded, the projection in the half-globe grew fainter. "'How are you going to use it?' asked the newspaper man. "'I have ninety-eight men who have agreed to be projected into the fourth dimension to seek out the entities that are attacking us and attack them in turn. I shall send them out in an hour.' Where is there a phone? asked the newspaper man. In the next room, replied Dr. White. As the reporter dashed out of the door, the light faded entirely from between the two discs, and on a lower one a little dog crouched, quivering, softly whimpering. The old man stepped from the controls and approached the disc. He scooped the little animal from where it lay into his arms and patted the silky head. Good dog, he murmured and the creature snuggled close to him, comforted, already forgetting that horrible place from which it had just returned. "'Is everything ready, George?' asked the old man. "'Yes, sir,' replied the servant. "'The men are all ready, even anxious to go. "'If you ask me, sir, they are a tough lot.' "'They are as brave a group of men as ever graced the earth,' replied the scientist gently. "'They are adventurers. Every one of them has faced danger and will not shrink from it.' They are born fighters. My one regret is that I have not been able to secure more like them. A thousand men such as they should be able to conquer any opponent. It was impossible. The others were poor, soft fools. They laughed in my face. They thought I was an old fool. I, the man who alone stands between them and utter destruction. His voice had risen to almost a scream, but it again sank to a normal tone i may be sending ninety-eight brave men to instant death i hope not you can always jerk them back sir suggested george maybe i can maybe not murmured the old man henry woods appeared in the doorway when do we start he asked we exclaimed the scientist certainly you don't believe you're going to leave me out of this why man it's the greatest story of all time I'm going as special war correspondent. They believed it. They are going to publish it, cried the old man, clutching at the newspaper man's sleeve. Well, the editor was skeptical at first, but after I swore on all sorts of oaths, it was true, he ate it up. Maybe you think that story didn't stop the presses. I didn't expect them to. I just took a chance. I thought they too would laugh at me. But when do we start? persisted Henry you are really in earnest you really want to go asked the old man unbelievingly i am going try to stop me dr white glanced at his watch we will start in exactly thirty four minutes he said ten seconds to go george standing with watch in hand spoke in a precise manner the very crispness of his words betraying the excitement under which he labored the blue light hissing drove from disk to disk the room thundered with the roar of the machine before which stood dr white his hand on the lever his eyes glued on the instruments before him in a line stood the men who were to fling themselves into the light to be warped into another dimension there to seek out and fight an unknown enemy the line was headed by a tall man with arms like hams, with a weather-beaten face and a wild mop of hair. Behind him stood a belligerent little cockney. Henry Woods stood fifth in line. They were a motley lot, adventurers every one of them, and some were obviously afraid as they stood before that column of light with only a few seconds of the third dimension left to them. They had answered a weird advertisement and had but a limited idea of what they were about to do. Grimly, though, they accepted it as a job, a bizarre job, but a job. They faced it as they had faced other equally dangerous but less unusual jobs. Five seconds,' snapped George. The lever was all the way over now. The half-globe showed, within its milky interior, a hideously distorted landscape. The light had taken on a hard, brittle appearance, and its hiss had risen to a scream. The machine thundered steadily with a suggestion of horrible power. Time up! The tall man stepped forward. His foot reached the disk, another step, and he was bathed in the light. A third, and he glimmered momentarily, then vanished. Close on his heels followed the little cockney. With his nerves at almost a snapping point, Henry moved on behind the fourth man. He was horribly afraid. He wanted to break from the line and run—it didn't matter where—any place to get away from that steady, steely light in front of him. He had seen three men step into it, glow for a second, and then disappear. A fourth man had placed his foot on the disc. Cold sweat broke out on his brow like an automaton he placed one foot on the disc the fourth man had already disappeared snap into it pal growled the man behind henry lifted the other foot caught his toe on the edge of the disc and stumbled headlong into the column of light he was conscious of intense heat which was instantly followed by equally intense cold for a moment his body seemed to be under enormous pressure then it seemed to be expanding flying apart, bursting, exploding. End of Part 2